Welcome to Up Next for Your Private Business, the PwC video podcast series that brings together professionals from around Europe, Middle East, Africa to uncover how private business leaders, governments, and policymakers can work together to build an enabling environment for private businesses to flourish and grow. My name is Peter English, Global Family Business at EMEA, Entrepreneurial and Private Business Leader, partner based at PwC in Germany. Today, we are covering the private business landscape. One out of eight important categories of our PwC Private Business Attractiveness Index 2022. While private businesses are all different, they share some common needs that apply in every case and every location. But which factors are most important and how will those needs change in the future? To answer those questions, I'm more than happy to be joined today by Fisto Fisto, CEO of Darik Radio, Bulgaria's largest private radio station, and Timothy Kosolich, CEO and board member of Khateni Kosolich Group, a major multi-generational and multinational logistic groups from Italy. Welcome. So, as many studies have shown, private businesses are the backbone of most economies, contributing to GDP growth, innovation, and job creation. Accordingly, there is no doubt that finding the right formula to support private businesses to grow is of critical importance. According to you, Christo and Timothy, what are the most important factors for creating an environment that supports private businesses? What do you think? I would say that in the very fast changing world that we live in right now, to be able to foresee into the future and have a common framework that is not going to be changing every six months, 12 months, two, three years. So basically, I would say clarity and framework of doing business in each and every country. So if my business or my family's business has a clear understanding into what the tax structure is, how much do I pay for VAT? What is the minimum wage? Uh, what is the general framework for doing business in any given country? This is very important for me to be able to invest in the long run because family businesses generally, we don't you know, invest for several quarters or even a couple of years. We invest in the generational time frame. So we invest for like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. We invest, so to speak, for the next generation. So not having any surprises in terms of regulations, tax changes, currency, volatility, central bank policies is a critical, critical milestone for doing business in any country, I would say. So predictable conditions to operate under. Timothy, what do you think? What have you been experiencing having left and worked in so many different countries? Yeah, well, I completely agree with what Risto just mentioned in terms of the predictability of the work environment and the business environments. And having been based in Singapore for the last 12 years, I had the opportunity and the privilege to appreciate how a country that is able to plan for the long-term works. In addition to what Risto just mentioned, I would say that what I see sometimes lacking in Italy, at least, is the ability to have a true stakeholders management. And so being able to understand that in the life of a business, you will have moments in which the business will have to support society and times in which society will have to support business. And at some point, you know, the business cannot 
succeed without the support of society and vice versa. So having a really broad and wide approach to a business that can benefit society and stakeholders and shareholders at the same time is something that sometimes we see lacking and we do see a little bit of a win-lose dynamic as opposed to a discussion on how to have a business that can be successful in a society that benefits from the presence of that business. It's a very interesting point that you are touching on, Timothy. So especially you, because you have the different expertise, having lived in Singapore, in different other European countries, and just recently returned back to Italy. With a new government in place, where it's constantly changing business conditions, currently with a lot of geopolitical uncertainties and also high energy prices and inflation. Do you observe already that there is a change in private business landscape in Italy, for instance? Well, certainly when you see uncertainty, the first reaction of many businesses is really to put a lot of investments on hold or at least to become a little bit less entrepreneurial or aggressive. This is where sometimes family businesses, as Risto was mentioning earlier, can really make a difference because we don't really look at what's going to benefit our companies this quarter or this year. We look at things in a much longer term. So this is where the, even if there is uncertainty, we can really make a difference. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So you talked also about investment, innovation and the like. So, and Christo, you are not just currently the CEO of your family business. You have been a serial entrepreneur at the beginning of your entrepreneurial career and you are now an investor as well. So if you now for a second change your head from leader of your family business to having an investor's perspective, what is it what you expect from in this quid pro quo, governance has to do something for the business, the business has to do for the government. So what's needed from an investor's point of view in this current times of uncertainties? So what we expect as a tech sector, as a tech scene in Europe, by the way, is again, is very much related to what I previously mentioned. So you expect to have a certain amount of predictability that, for example, the Netherlands, where I would say majority of the venture-based funds are located, doesn't dramatically or drastically change its framework for VCs or the same goes for Switzerland. So we saw that uh, one market changing dramatically with Brexit. We saw how this affected everything from education, which is access to talent, to access to capital, which is changing, to even to the real estate market, which is having some hard times right now. So I would say predictability, access to talent and access to capital. And capital now with the rising interest rates and tightening of the monetary policies is becoming more and more scarce. We see the markets, basically, they're not so liquid. They're drying up. Investors are bracing for the money that they have. And they are looking so-called for the first signs that the recession will not be so hard and that the economic times will be better. And only then can they start spending. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying with regard to CV capital and the availability of funding from investors. I think this is a place where government can set the right conditions. And I observe that in Europe, some territories, you mentioned the Netherlands, for instance, are doing pretty good to attract institutional investors so that the funds are available in that particular country. And other countries have also good leading practices. But I think I would not consider this as interference of the government to attract investors, most likely something to support the ecosystem in a way that allows 
startups and young entrepreneurs to find a potential investor. Turning to you, Timothy, so your family business is more than 160 years old. Wow, what an amazing history. So <laughs> you went, obviously, through all up and downs, political, geopolitical crisis, even worse in the history of your family business. So from a long-time perspective, is it also that availability to investors or more the lending facilities from banks? What is it that make a huge difference for you to survive in the long run managing such crisis? I think that in our case, obviously, I can only speak for ourselves. What made a difference was that the priority for our family business, you know, having seen a lot of different family businesses, I cannot say there is a right or a wrong. There's just different approaches depending on what the priorities are. And for us, in a way, the priority has always been the business more than the family. In a way, we've always reinvested 100% of the profits into the business. So in 165 years, we've never distributed dividends. And we always kept our debt level at uh, very manageable levels. We've always had a relatively conservative approach to business, but at the same time, trying to maintain an entrepreneurial mindset to business and focusing on the long term. So accepting that for certain businesses within the group, we might have not achieved certain results within the first year, the first two years, the first five years. But in some cases, we were convinced that those businesses were businesses that had potential for the group, and we decided to stick to them. And in most cases, it paid off. So I think that that is the long-term approach together with a conservative mindset and putting business first in a way has helped. At the same time, you know, you have a long experience, I'm sure, with seeing family businesses And one of the main weaknesses with family businesses is sometimes the lack of meritocracy and the fact that you don't have necessarily the best people getting to the top, but getting the family people at the top. And in our case, we have a board of directors where five out of six are from the family, so uh, out of 2,000 people. So either we have an incredible coincidence where the five best people in, out of 2,000 people are from the family, or we also lack a bit of meritocracy. At the same time, you know, we try to have certain processes in place where we do our best to reduce or minimize the impact of that lack of meritocracy, such as having a minimum period of about 10 years for family members before they're allowed to join the group, and then having a sort of a, an introduction for those who join the group so that they can gain the respect and the trust of the people who work within the group. So I think trying to have as much meritocracy as we can and putting business first is one of the things that's kept us afloat over the years. Uh, that's super interesting. I'm glad to see how you try to avoid to create a sense of entitlement and dividends in your family. So super interesting. What are, from your point of view, important conditioned in the different countries to find which allows you for this generational transition. And if you compare what you have observed, let's say, in a vibrant ecosystem and country like Singapore compared with European countries, so what can European countries learn from Singapore with regard to foster this entrepreneurial spirit and passing the baton to the next capable person? And what is your personal experience? So what was this encouraging element that you found being in a vibrant ecosystem away from home? Yeah, I think one of the things that we have observed, not only in Singapore, but in most big cities, I would say, is a bit of a shift from a market where, at least in Italy until recently, I would say, the market was very much in favor of the employer. So it would almost be the employee looking for a job, being grateful for having a job. 
to a situation where actually companies are indeed fighting for talent, to attract talent. And if you don't realize that that shift has happened, then you find yourself actually ending up with those who are not particularly talented or particularly ambitious and who are not willing to invest in their career. So I think making that effort and realizing that as a company, we have to make a real effort to attract the top talent. That is one of the things that if you're not in one of the main cities is one of the, the aspects that you might miss. And it's something that is very clear if you are based in Singapore, in Hong Kong or New York or London. Job mobility, the fact that the young generations, they have a much shorter time horizon when they look at employment and every X number of years, they want to see something new. And again, taking it upon ourselves as a company to make sure that if we have talent within our organization, it is our responsibility to make sure that we continue to provide our young colleagues with opportunities to learn and develop within the group. So those are clear trends that I have personally observed, not only in Singapore, but in main cities. Going to your earlier question about the country, what I noticed in Singapore is that the country was never afraid to invest in innovation innovation or in general learning, I would say. And that is something that is quite important. It might be even the difference between a country giving a loan as opposed to a country giving a grant. It's quite a significant difference if you are a startup, if you are starting a project for a, a relatively mid-sized or large company. Of course, you might have the means to invest and to do something new. But if you are a startup, having a subsidy, a real subsidy money from the government can really make a difference. I think this is super important. And this is also confirmed by our survey and by our research that there is a strong correlation between the attractiveness for private businesses in a country, which means that the government is able to provide an enabling environment for private businesses to grow and to flourish. So, Risto, sometimes we have interesting findings, and also this time we had interesting findings from our research, for instance, that we found that the least time and bureaucracy uh, CEOs and owners spend in Estonia. And because of there is a high level of digitization and public function and so on. So, looking at Bulgaria, would the audience surprise about positive things that are currently happening in Bulgaria? I love that you mentioned Estonia because like I have a lot of companies that are either registered there or the founders, they have Estonian citizenship. They applied online, their electronic signatures in their identity card. It's one and the same thing. You can sign and move everywhere with it. I wish I can see that level of digitization in Bulgaria. Unfortunately, over the last couple of years, there is more or less a political crisis here with governments changing quickly. Now we're like two and a half months uh, post-elections and we still don't have a government. And I don't think this is a very positive sign for businesses. What I hear from both of you is having a clear vision for the future is of uh, critical importance for sure. Not only for your own business, but also for a country. So as we are heading towards the end of this conversation... Is there any final message from you, Timothy and Christo, that you would send to our audience? And is there anything that you wish to achieve for your country and your business in the next three to five years? Timothy. Well, I will just build on something that both you and Risto mentioned about the idea of the vision. And indeed, I agree that it is important for a country and for a company to have a clear vision of where you want to go. At the same time, I actually think that it's very, very important to be able to adapt because change is inevitable. 
and you might have the best vision ever, but the reality is that then COVID happens and your vision, uh, we, we all know where it goes. So I think it is very important to be able to adapt, to change. And for that, it's very important to have that open communication between the business community, the government, and so on. And I do want to highlight what Risto mentioned earlier about the predictability of the system. Also in terms of, and I mean, this is maybe a bit of a wider discussion, but sometimes I do find that politicians, they tend to focus on ideas and projects and proposals that get them reelected as opposed to projects that are good for the country that might not get them votes. So I think it might be useful to find a way to get the political class to focus more on what brings a benefit to society, a real benefit, as opposed to bringing in votes. This is going to be a very interesting separate discussion. Thank you, Timothy. Yeah. I think, Timothy, this, this goes into company comparison as well. Like if you compare our family business type of perspective to a, let's say, NASDAQ listed company perspective, it's the yes. same. Like a NASDAQ listed company is the same as government. So they optimize for the quarterly outcome rather than the like 10 year, 20, 30 year old folk. So yes. it's a matter of it should go both ways. So you should be able to speak and educate to the mass audience through media and influencers and social media so that they don't expect immediate returns as well. So it's like your shareholders in the company that you are, they don't expect immediate returns with the fact that you haven't distributed dividend and so on and so forth. Compare it to, let's say, 10 million Italians, they expect immediate returns. They expect now to get paid for Christmas because they don't want to think for like next five years or next uh, seven years. Towards the end, I would like to share something very, very interesting. Again, it's a dichotomous type of thing, but I would like to compare the technology ecosystem and the startup world with, let's say, separate countries. When we sit together with the technology entrepreneurs and the VCs and, let's say, the successful stories of our region, like Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, Greece, we don't see it as separate markets. We see it as one pipeline. So we see it as one talent pool and one capital market. So we don't see the borders. We're not afraid to share know-how. We're not afraid to share data. We're not afraid to share best practices. We actually collaborate. And I think if countries, and especially European countries, tend to collaborate more, building on best practices of other peers or collaborating with countries from other continents, I think we can accelerate as a society much further and we can progress and take this next down market and downtrend and actually build on that through technology to have better lives and to have better jobs and to have a better outcome. Because the technology element now creates a different ballgame. It's now not the same as Peter Yu producing outcome of X and uh, Timothy producing outcome of X plus 0.5 and me producing X minus 0.3. So it's through technology, we're able to leverage much more our abilities and competences. And basically, this creates enough I would say, wealth for everybody. And I think this is a very nice closing remark, Christo, because what you're just saying is and highlighting is the importance of ecosystems. And we should think more in ecosystems and in some industries, this trend happened already. The shipping technology, so many are part of a bigger ecosystem where neither an individual company nor an individual country can change the game 
and the rule of the game, but there can be additional value add produced if players in the ecosystem working to our previous points, working towards a common goal for mutual benefit. And I wish that we'll find more interesting ideas for collaboration with the different stakeholders in the open communication mindset that you, Timothy, were referring to, to build ecosystem which crosses borders, which crosses industries. So the question is how to find this common ground. Thank you both, Timothy and Christo, for joining the podcast and sharing your insights today. I am sure that our audience found the discussion as insightful as I did. To everyone watching or listening, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast series. We'll release a new episode each month, so watch out for next month's episode. Hope to see you then. And on that happy note, thank you and goodbye. Copyright 2023, PwC. All rights reserved. PwC refers to the PwC network and or one or more of its member firms, each of which is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com forward slash structure for further details. This content is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.